on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, health care freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgiatos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatos. Today on our show, we're going to talk about Fox settles with Dominion. That happened moments after we closed out the show yesterday when I was talking about that. Shannon Ayers joins me in studio to tell you all about her. She's an outspoken parent. The Texas legislature, which bills win, and Holocaust Remembrance Day, what tolerance means. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. And here we go with our very first topic, Fox Settles with Dominion. I just want to tell you, folks, right at the close of yesterday's show, I literally, we got done the show and I turned my phone back on and there was an email, you know, flash news, breaking news, Fox Settles. I just want to tell you a couple quick points about this, about the importance of Fox settling um, with Dominion, paying Dominion uh, a, a big chunk of change. Fox was sued by Dominion voting machines because Fox had stories running shortly after the 2020 election into 2021 where there was great discussion about whether or not the electronic voting machines were problematic, were hackable, were vulnerable, had been hacked, perhaps participated in the what seemed many too obvious, uh, obvious to many, the theft of the 2020 election. So early, if you recall, many conservatives were watching Fox News the night of the election of 2020, and many people saw and, and commented at the time how bizarre it was that Fox called Arizona when it was the numbers were not were coming in. There was not at all clear uh, that Biden would take Arizona, but Fox called it for him. So that was puzzling. And then we, moving forward, you had over the next weeks, we had many people commenting on the bizarre election night occurrence where after these basically important five swing states, all stopped counting in the middle of the night and said, well, we're going to stop counting, come back in the morning, which no one had ever seen happen before. And all those states have been trending toward a Trump victory and they all went for Biden. So there's a great deal of suspicion on the ground in America shortly after the 2020 election results were announced. So turning back to Fox, they were involved at least in the uh, calling of the Arizona election very early, you know, making people very suspicious about why. But Dominion voting machines became implicated in the elections shortly after that by comments by a variety of people who were talking about the Dominion voting machines essentially being vulnerable. And as we've talked about in this show many times, if the NSA, the Department of Defense, the FBI, and numerous top federal agencies in Washington who have the best security there could be can be hacked, why is anyone acting like we can't possibly figure out whether or not Dominion voting machines are hackable? It's kind of, a, as my best friend Lawson used to say, a PGO, a pointed glimpse into the obvious. Anyone's computers can be hacked. So Dominion went after a lot of people, not just Fox News, many commentators and pundits when they were speaking about the fact that Dominion voting machines seemed to be implicated uh, in the fall elections and what appeared to be the theft of the election. So what happened to Fox? So Fox gets sued by Dominion, and you know they're having to defend a it was a billion dollar demand uh, made by Dominion, and Fox is supposed to go to trial yesterday. Trial was set to start yesterday. There had been settlement negotiations; they fell apart, and so the trial was going to um, go forward starting yesterday. And then a big announcement was made that after all, uh, they had settled for far less, I guess, in defense of Fox, far less than the amount that was demanded. But the points I want to bring home and why this matters so much. What Dominion is doing 
is silencing all conversation in America about the vulnerability of their electronic voting machines. They are silencing conversation, threatening people, threatening news people, and not, not just people like Fox, but nor regular everyday pundits, people involved in, election, in the election integrity movement. Anyone who has a big voice is threatened by, and sometimes even sued by, Dominion. And Fox, to their, uh, what happened in their case, they actually were trying to originally defend on the argument, well, we didn't really say Dominion was a problem. We said other people, um, you know, had, uh, came on our shows and said that the voting machines were a problem. It really isn't our fault. And that's kind of a flimsy defense when you are a news media outlet. You, you are responsible for what you allow to a certain degree uh, to, to what you allow on your show. So they were responsible for that. But what happened to Fox was that they got stuck when they were unwilling to assert the only reasonable defense, if you can make it in a defamation lawsuit, which is the truth of the allegation. If what you were accused of is true, if someone says, you said X about me and I'm suing you for defamation, if X is true, there's no defamation. As the adage goes, you know, truth is a complete defense in a defamation lawsuit. But Fox didn't want to go there. They didn't want to go there. They didn't want to say, actually, yeah, our defense is it was at least reasonable for us to believe that the Dominion voting machines were hackable. So they, they're, they're abandoning their real defense and kind of tiptoeing around other avenues of trying to defend themselves, which it didn't go so well trying to do that. The other aspect of Fox and of this litigation was the judge had ruled early on that there was no credible basis. And in fact, I'm going to read you the language. The judge had ruled early on. This is state court judge, Delaware Judge Davis, spoke out and basically said um, <clears throat> that there was, he assigned the, anyway, he wasn't neutral. And he basically concluded early on that there was no, uh, the judge involved in the case has already ruled that Fox's claims about the electronic voting machine company are false. Well, if the judge is saying, you know, that Fox's questions about Dominion are false, he's kind of handing the victory to Dominion. So the judge is influenced by, I don't know whether it's threats from Dominion. I don't know whether it's just he doesn't read very much. He only reads certain sources. Because all that's happened since the time of the election of 2020 is more and more voices, informed, articulate, highly credible voices are coming out and saying, the electronic voting machines are problematic. If you've listened to my show very often, Seth Keschel has come on, just showed mountains of data that just make it very clear that the 2020 elections result as reported were highly dubious. Uh, even more uh, to the point of this case, Dr. Douglas Frank has produced mountains of data that show that somehow electronically elections are manipulated. But so this is a judge who didn't know that, decided early on he was making that ruling, basically saying Fox's claims about the electronic voting machines uh, are, are false. And so Fox was in a hard place. However, I will just tell you that the concept of, of surrendering to what happened here really was Fox surrendering to Dominion. It really makes it harder and harder for the next person, the next case, the next election, for people to feel confident and speak up to say, you know, there, there's a real problem here with electronic voting machines. There's a huge effort in this country, in many, many legislatures at the state level, to get rid of all electronics in the, in the, in the um, voting process. Just all electronics. We've been over this many times on this show. But Dominion is really pushing its way in and really giving um, ammo to the people who want to continue using the voting machines. And, you know, the people who want in the states to, to argue that Dominion, that the voting machines are problematic, they're vulnerable, they can be used to hack elections. You know, is Fox kind of handed them a little bit of a help, too, because because people now are less and less willing to speak up about the voting machines, more likely to think they've got proof now. Look, Fox paid Dominion. They admitted it was a false. They admitted it was made up when it really wasn't that at all. There are a lot of legal aspects of this case I, I find extremely interesting, but they might be a little bit legally wonky for this show. Uh, but 
Fox ended up where they really were not even able to argue that there was, uh, that they didn't have actual malice, which was a standard. They end up pinched and couldn't really make that argument either. So they settled. It's the most unfortunate settlement for anyone who wants, who wants just fair elections in America uh, because Dominion is behaving as it has so far, really kind of bulldogging or and just bulldozing really anyone who challenges them. So we end up in a place where, and I'll tell you some of the, a very quick point about this because we're going to get to it later in the show. Part of the argument by people who want to end electronic involvement in the voting process at all is that you know voting is supposed to be the process where individual citizens make their selection for who they want and they vote and then the votes are counted. So it's a process internal or should be to the American people. When people who have the power to make decisions about how the election process is undertaken, when they contract with an organization like Dominion, they're really taking the control of the voting process out of the hands of the people and into a foreign corporation or as maybe a domestic corporation, either way, but into the hands of a corporation. And then our access to information, the ability to get inside the Dominion machines, understand what happens there, the, the capability of actually having transparent elections is completely removed once we decide to have voting machine companies be involved in the integral process of our voting. If we can keep the voting process and the control of the process in the hands of the people, many more people will be very, very, very more sure of themselves, sure of the election process, and that's where we need to head. So a very unfortunate result for uh, America that Fox decided to settle with Dominion. Okay, we have a guest joining us, Sharon Eric. She's in studio, which is always fun. Um, I want to just tell you, um, there's a group. Uh, they now are, they go by the name CDF, Citizens Defending Freedom. And we had a few months ago, we had two other people on the show uh, who are affiliated with the same group. And they're just, I, I want to have her talk about that group. But I also want to have her talk about some testimony she has given uh, in a... Frisco, this is Frisco, great state of Texas, Frisco Independent School District, Frisco ISD. This woman was the, uh, the speaker and what went, became a viral video. I think we'll just play that first and then they'll have bring Shannon Ayers on. So this is the mom you're going to see testifying in front of the Frisco uh, ISD about the content of some books found in their library. Let's play that now. What we fill our minds with matters. Consider that as I read this from a current library book. This one couple stumbled into my room and asked if they could use the room anyway with me still in it. They closed the door and started kissing. After a few minutes, the boy's hand went up the girl's shirt and she started protesting. Pretty soon, he took off her bra and started to kiss her breasts. And then he put his hand down her pants and she started moaning. He reached to take off her pants, but she started crying really hard. So he reached for his own. He pulled his pants and underwear down to his knees. Please, Dave, no. But the boy just talked soft to her about how good she looked, and she grabbed his penis with her hands and started moving it. The boy pushed the girl's head down, and she started to kiss his penis. She was still crying. Finally, she stopped crying because he put his penis in her mouth, and I don't think you can cry you. in that position. I ask you why this book thank has you. survived two attempts. Your time is up. Thank you so much. And there is a, there's a child in our boardroom, so I'd like for you to please stop reading that. Did you see the child? Okay. Then your, your time is up. Thank you. If you couldn't catch that, it's okay. I'll quickly summarize. This mom, this Texas mom, Shannon Ayers, is reading out loud at a Frisco ISD board meeting directly from a book found in the library, the public school library, that was, uh, even if you couldn't hear all the details, let me just say it very sexual, very graphic, very specific about sexual intimacy. And she's stopped by the ISD board person who's saying, hey, hey, you can't say that in here. This is, there's children present. So first, let's welcome to the show, Shannon Ayers. Hi, Shannon. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so part of what happened in that video they were just watching, you reading from a book. First of all, is this a middle school book or would you know what library it was in? It was in high school. High school library. Right very graphically defining a sexual encounter between two young people, two minors. And so near the end of the video, they, they cut off your mic, right? Yes, because you only, well, you only get a minute to, well, that night I only got a minute to speak. It's either three minutes, but depending on how many people show up to the school board meeting and sign up to speak, they might cut your time. So I was cut to one minute. And so they will cut your mic mid-sentence, doesn't matter oh, so when your time is up. Oh, so they cut your mic because of time? Yes. 
Oh, I thought they cut because you were reading. No, that, well, they, if you noticed, I was done reading the graphic part. Um, the mic had not been cut during the graphic part. It was cut after she told me to stop to stop reading. So Okay, and there was a, a funny exchange in there where she's saying, did you realize there's a child in the room? Yeah. And you said? I said, well, that's my whole point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so amazing. You're reading a book that kids could get in the high school library. And what yep. she's saying, because you're reading it and a child's in the room, that that was obviously offensive and, or, or problematic. Inappropriate, yeah. Yeah, the irony is what made that video go viral. Because I've read at, at that school board meeting before, and none of that went viral. You know, so it's uh, unfortunately, it's kind of common now for parents to go in front of a school board meeting and read stuff like that. Because this is everywhere. This is probably, these books are in every single school district in texas for sure and probably all over the country so this is not uncommon but what was what was uncommon was her you know just the hypocrisy of her saying stop reading a book from our own school library where kids go in and check out books please stop reading that because there's a child in the room so it was just the the irony of it was was what made it go go viral i think absolutely so we'll get back to that in a minute i first want to have you again mm -hmm. tell our listeners about cdf because you're part of that group citizens defending freedom and just just basically what, what do you guys do what are you all about so it's a national organization citizens defending freedom um and it but it opens local chapters so collin county is the chapter that i'm affiliated with um and we are divided into four uh divisions what we call divisions education is one of the divisions and so that's the division that i'm a part of and we do everything education so we you know follow the curriculum in our county and um, we've got i think 17 school districts in collin county and so it's a lot um, of districts and we need a lot of volunteers so if you want to volunteer let us know see uh, citizensdefendingfreedom.com um, go up and sign up to be on our newsletter and we'll get you connected and and uh, looped in but um, education is one of our our divisions um, we also have an elections division so interesting to hear your um, opening about the elections because we do have an elections division and we are actually actively trying to get, um, get rid of the machines and, and paper, get paper ballot ballots and um, and just hand counting hand you know hand counting and how uh, and hand paper ballots um, and then faith division is one of our divisions that is uh, we are of the firm belief that if the church would get out of the pews and into this into the society community and do their civil duties that um, we wouldn't even be in the mess that we're in so we are trying to activate the church and christians to get out and actually um, you know participate in in what's going on in the community and let their voices be heard um, and then freedom is our fourth and final division, and that's um, anything we basically try in all divisions to equip and empower citizens to get out and participate and know what, what their rights are and know when they're being violated. And then if they are being violated, you can come to Citizens Defending Freedom, and we do have um, a legal division and a media division, and we're able to get help for people who um, you know, have had their rights violated and don't know what to do about it. It's a huge undertaking. Yeah, I believe I from past conversations with you or another person affiliated with that group, uh, they pick certain areas or counties or certain states to be active in to start with. Is that correct? They have. So they started in Florida um, and they've expanded to Texas and Georgia. Um, but they've identified early on, they did, um, I guess, a, you know, they spent a lot of money to go out and find out where kind of all the dark money in the country um, was funneled into and there there's only some counties that's the good news actually because we have over 3400 counties in the country and the good news is that not all of them are you know in danger of being overtaken um, not all of them got for instance you know money from from Zuckerberg for their elections and so um, they identified the top hundred or so counties that were really seeing some um, some issues and Collin County as well as Dallas Tarrant and Denton County are four counties are um, four of the hundred so those are the counties they're targeting okay I want to focus on this of parents going to school boards and talking about the content of books and I assume or instructional materials trying to bring it to the attention of the school board let me start with this I read this morning I was telling you before we started mm -hmm. I read this morning some of the testimony given by people who were kind of on the side of the school board kind of making the argument you know, these are, you got to let them grow up and, and, you know, parents still have a role. And, and I just want to, I mean, how do you decide what crosses the line, the books that you identify to suggest should be removed? Is there a standard? Well, for me, I mean, it, sexually explicit is pretty um, self-explanatory. I mean, I feel like that doesn't really need a definition. Um, but 
for the sake of those who need a definition, I would say anything that really describes graphically any kind of sex act, right? So it doesn't, it's one thing to talk about a sexual theme in a book, to talk about, you know, the idea of sex, but to actually physically, graphically describe every single detail of a sex act in very graphic detail is, I don't think, appropriate for any child and to read. you hold this view, whether it is a same-sex relationship or a boy and a girl. Yes, it's, exactly. ju it's just the idea of graphic description Sexually of sex. explicit is sexually explicit no matter who it's with, no matter who you're having sex with. You know, it's an unspoken uh, piece of this, and maybe you thought about it many times, but I know when I was growing up, I can just tell you there was nothing like this in our in the public school libraries, just nothing. And part of what's happened over decades in America, this kind of leftism, woke ideology, uh, you know, uh, has slithered like a snake, really, into the school system. It wasn't like the public got to vote. Do you want to have kids begin to have sexually explicit literature in schools and parents could have voted yes or no? That never happened. It just kind of slithered its way in. So how long, do you have any idea how long this kind of stuff's been in the schools? You know, I, I don't. I suspect that it's been there longer than we've known. I think a lot of us have been asleep for quite a long time and we've just kind of, I mean, I know I did. My kids are grown now. They're not in school anymore, but I sent my kids to school trusting that everything was, you know, was, was going to, that my kids were basically going to be protected, that they weren't going to be exposed to anything. It, especially by the teachers. I mean, you can't protect them from what they're going to see maybe from another child, but a teacher or, you know, the, the system itself, you expected them to protect and take care of your child. And now you can't, unfortunately, you can't really, you can't really assume that anymore. Have you experienced schools hearing the kind of testimony? Obviously what you read out loud at that meeting, we just watched upset people. Have you observed school districts remove things in response to parent protests? Has that ever happened? Yeah, it has happened. Um, in Frisco, for instance, there were 28 books that were challenged. Um, it took a very long time. It's not easy. They don't make it easy. Um, it's a long process. But um, of the 28, um, there's a, so, so let me just quickly go through the process. So the process is a parent submits a book for reconsideration. Um, there's a committee that is selected, I believe, by the board um, of, I think, uh, teachers and administrators who read the book and decide whether or not it is appropriate. And if they pass it and say, yep, it's fine, it's going to stay, then the parent who submitted the book for reconsideration can appeal that. And then another, a different board reads the book and decides whether or not it's offensive. And if it passes that, then the third appeal, or the second appeal, third attempt to get rid of it, um, it has to go to the school board. And the school board has to vote out, you know, in front of everybody and say whether or not they want that book to stay. Those books, the 28 books, it took all three appeals to get all all but two of them removed. So we did get 26 of the 28 removed, but it was a very long, hard fight. So when you're at these meetings, like the one where you gave that testimony that went viral, were there other parents responding to this particular book that you were reading from saying, I'm fine with that? Did you have that kind of testimony? I didn't, not that, not that night. There wasn't anything that night, um, but I'm sure there have been people that have defended it. I've heard that book be defended. I heard it defended, you know, in, in Austin, because I went and testified in front of the House Public Education Committee on the same, and, and read the same excerpt in front of them, because they're considering, you know, legislation now to try. because Texas legislation. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll I mean, get to the, that in, yeah, we, yeah the school boards aren't doing it, and, and, and they did do it, but uh, like like I said, it was a huge fight. Those the book that you're that you are um, that you're challenging stays in the library the whole time it's being challenged. So all that while, it's still available for children to check out. And then a lot of times it doesn't. Now in the case of McKinney, it, they don't get taken out. They hard, they hardly ever take out the books. McKinney in, in doesn't McKinney take ISD. even after parents complain. The process yeah. you described that had two appeals, three whole, was that something that's and just a within Frisco their process? It's a statewide process? It's different for every school district. They decide in what their Texas. process is in Texas. But, um, but you know, I th they're all fairly similar in, in how, how they operate, yeah. So, you know, it's a funny thing. I was thinking about how we were talking about when we were growing up, but when I was growing up, just none of this was like this. And I think because it kind of slithered in, people weren't aware of it. I think that school boards for a long time didn't really have to if no one was calling attention to it, they didn't really have to be faced with these things, but now they're faced. They're faced by parents trying to get the, what were called porn out of the public schools. And they do have, even if other parents aren't pushing back, there's a lot of pushback from kind of professional education organizations, by the teachers unions, 
pushing back and saying we can't let parents start to have this role in public schools. Parents do not need to be involved in this. So what's your answer to that? What, why should parents get to monitor the content of school libraries? Uh, because the children that are in the schools and going into the school libraries belong to the parents, not to the school. They belong to the parents. The parents get to decide for their child what kind of content they want their children to be exposed to and there are different beliefs different belief systems and that's that's fine but you can't you have to make sure that wh who wherever you send your child be that your beliefs that your home beliefs the things that you want to te teach behaviors beliefs values that you want to teach your child at home are not contradicted in the school setting parents have the right to to do to teach their kids the values that they want them to be taught and those shouldn't be taught at school at school we should be learning math we should be learning reading we should be you know we're learning how to write we should be learning how to think for ourselves um, you know critical thinking skills but we don't need to be shaping their value system at school which is what a lot of a lot of this yeah well, does. that's actually one of the points i wanted to make about it is you know school or people would say well these kind of books are out there they've been around since time began sexual content and literature has been around since time began and so what's the reason to make this age the cutoff where they, they can't read it and part of my thought is it's one thing when you're an adult mm -hmm. and you can decide you know you want to purchase books that are sexually explicit or you're not at all interested you would never purchase that but when you're younger, when you're a kid, you're being sh the school is shaping how that kid sees sexuality. And when it's in school books that are not, you're, you're told, sure, this is fine, go ahead. And there's no values written into the literature, no, nothing about the propriety or lack thereof. The kid is being subconsciously propagandized, subconsciously lured into the thought that sexuality at their age and, and younger ages in high school, I mean, junior high school, whatever ages, is appropriate. I mean, is that a fair argument? Absolutely. They're being desensitized to it as well. I mean, it's like sex is not a big deal. I mean, there are many, many Christian families who, who disagree with that, who think sex is a big deal and that you should wait until you're married to have sex. And those, you know, oddly enough, if you tried to, um, if you tried to put a book like that that said, you know, that, that talked a, a towards or spoke to Christian, you know, Judeo-Christian values, those would probably likely be, you know, they'd want to ban those from the, from the other side, <laughs> keep yeah. those out of the libraries. But to your point with the, with the age, right, kids, we all know, right, your brain is being developed. I watched, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but I did watch my children at a very young age. I put them in a program um, starting in kindergarten called Dual Immersion. And Say I, it again. Dual Immersion. Okay. And it was um, in California and they had, um, they started in kindergarten teaching kids, not teaching kids Spanish but teaching them in Spanish so yeah. their their classroom day their school day was taught to them in Spanish and it was 90% of the day the teacher spoke to the kids in Spanish at, at five years old six years old when you're in, in kindergarten first grade um, and then the percentage of how much they spoke spoke in Spanish or taught in Spanish decreased all the way through fifth grade to where fifth grade it was 50 50 all that to say their brains are ripe for learning a whole for their first language first of all and now even a second language at age you know six years old five or six years old and their brains are like sponges and the, when when you learn a language at that early age different synapses in your brain open up it's very easy at, for that age to learn a second language much easier than it would be for you and I because your brain is so malleable at that point that's that's the brain that we're putting all of this filth into and it's it's scary it is scary I love the concept of brain but I also just love the concept of of just just being really to me it's really overt some people want to teach their children about sexual morality uh, in accord with a, with their Judeo-Christian beliefs and, and or many any other beliefs. You can be secular and still want to teach sexual morality to your kids. Sure. But if the uh, school is presenting literature that is filled with sexual activity without judgmentalism, without any concept of whether it's right or wrong, you are, you said, you is desensitized. I also it's like legitimizing it's like this is no big deal this is just the same thing as tasting your first strawberry ice cream you know or tasting spaghetti for the first time and and to not have and the thing is the parents or other advocates who really want this literature in the schools those parents can teach those their kids those things at home they don't have to invade 
every kid's life with their uh, advocacy for legitimizing sex. Right. That's what I say to the people who call us Nazis and book burners and all of that, right? It's like we're not telling you that you can't go buy these books on Amazon or go to Half Price Books or go to, you know, go to any bookstore and buy whatever one of these books you want to buy and sit in front of the fireplace and have story time in front of the fire at night with your family. You are still welcome to do that if those are your family values, right? But but you shouldn't, they shouldn't be allowed in a taxpayer-funded school library for any child who's not not being taken to that library with their parent, right? A parent takes the child even to a public library, right? Yeah, the parent yeah. has to take a child to the public library so they can actually guide the child away from or to whatever section in that library they want to. But in school, they don't have their parents with them. So they can go pick out whatever book they want with absolutely no parent involvement and that it's not, it's not okay. And it's just it's just common sense. We don't want to fill our kids' minds, as I said in that in, in my speech, with, with filth. You don't want to fill your kids' minds. What we fill our minds with does matter. Yeah. You know what else, on the subject of legitimizing, desensitizing, I know when I was growing up, I remember this kid, this family lived up the hill, and they had a bunch of kids, and the teenage boy had uh, Playboy in his room, uh, you know, hidden from the parents. His sister found them. She showed them. <laughs> we were pretty young, and, and, and yeah. she showed them to all the girls in the street, and we were all just flabbergasted but the thing was so i'm not I, I don't you know when people try to say oh come on kids see this all the time it is true that throughout time people have come across somebody's older brother's playboy whatever it is but you knew when you were seeing it it wasn't your parents wouldn't be okay with this society wouldn't be okay with this you knew that but when the school is just sitting in the library next to the book explaining, you know, the life cycle of a butterfly or something, then you think, well, gee, this is just something else you're supposed to get to. That, that's kind of morally neutral. Yeah, they definitely want to normalize it, I feel like. And I don't even know who they is. I can't even really tell you. I know. And you asked me how long these books have been in the, and I said, you know, I, I think I suspect it's been longer than we realize. And we're just now kind of seeing it. I think COVID was, that was one of the, the positive things about COVID that parents started seeing exactly what their kids were being exposed to in school. But um, but I, I, I do think that there obviously is a coordinated effort to um, to normalize this and to and to get this in front of kids because it's happening all over the country. It's not just a one-off here or there. It's happening everywhere. So there is a coordinated effort by someone to completely normalize and even celebrate um, and and make okay um, deviant sexual behavior. Yeah. Well, it's a sexualization of children, yeah, which ties into the problem we have with porn around the country. It ties into child sex trafficking. trafficking. It try. Mm -hmm. It ties into the whole attempt to break down the um, you know the morality structure really that that founded america that had founded many nations as judeo-christian is a concept of families being the source of teaching children morality and if you have a mom and dad in the home and they're going to teach their kids whatever what they believe in that's the that's the basic family stru structure of society and so it's telling kids your mom and dad might not let you see this and they might not talk to you, but you come here to this school, right. we're gonna share it. So it's undermine the parents' authority to set values in the minds of the kids. That is happening. That is absolutely happening. We're hearing that from, you know, parents come to us a lot in our, in our county and it's happening in Collin County in just about every district where you've got incident instances where a teacher will say, you know, if, if your parents don't accept you or your parents don't think that's okay or your parents don't agree, I do, I've got your back, I, you know. Yeah, it, we, we're it, getting over into the other, that the obviously the advocacy for transgenderism <clears throat> starting with, you know, do, do you guys work on that at all with the classes that at that very young ages they're teaching kids, you can be any gender you want, you choose your gender. Is that part of what your group does or not particularly? Well, we would. I mean, if somebody came to us and said, I feel like, you know, my, my child has been, has been, their teacher has, has um, you know, secretly allowed them to dress in different clothes. We've heard these kinds of stories happening. Dr dress change as a girl, name. change their name, change their pronouns without parents knowing. Um, so yeah, if somebody wanted to, you know, had that issue and wanted to come to us with that, we would definitely, um, you know, work with them to, to fix it <laughs> as, yeah. best, as best we could. I mean, that issue, you know, the transgender issue, um, and, and the other one, quasi-similar to that, has to do with the drag queen yeah. uh, entertainment shows, which, you know, I don't like to call them entertainment shows. It's for millennia, people recognize that men who want to dress as women and put makeup on and pretend they're women and entertain, I guess in some, you know, they've existed in some numbers, you know, for a long time. But for most of human history, all of us thought those poor people are so confused. They are, they're almost, 
you know, they, they, they need help. They're not well to want right. to do that. That's not a normal thing for a normal human to do. But now it's getting pushed in the schools where, you, where there's pressure on schools to let these uh, drag queen shows be done in front of small children. Have you had that issue come up or? Um, a drag show in front of, I mean, I just heard about, I, I, I haven't confirmed it, but I did just hear something about ha that happening in McKinney ISD, a drag, yeah. a drag queen, um, or a trans, I don't know if it was a drag queen or, or a trans person coming in and substitute teaching. Um, and you know, that's just, it's so confusing for little kids. I just don't know why we want to, why, if you're an adult and you want to participate in that, that's completely, it's free country. You can do that. But to, to push it on children who are, again, their brains are so um, just so malleable. I just think it's very confusing for them. And we've got a lot of kids that are, that are really confused and struggling with that. Oh, it's the most amazing thing. I told you the story. I know it's a little tiny bit aside from what you're talking about. And mm -hmm. I do want to turn to the Texas legislature also, sure. but I told you the story before we started. I, I found this amazing. I don't know where I put the story, but uh, so in the gray state of Texas, uh, there is a, a college, which is um, actually for, um, is Texas A&M, but it's not the big main campus of Texas A&M. It's like West Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. So someplace uh, and outside of the real, the, the, the hub center, there was a college professor, uh, excuse me, a college president who vetoed uh, the student, uh, some student activities group wanted to bring in a drag queen show. And the uh, college president vetoed it, just said, you know, this, we don't need this kind of entertainment here. And the students had a protest and they were waving signs, some of them holding signs saying trans are people too, mm -hmm. or, you know, drag queen are real people. Or, or I mean, just these kind of, you know, the, as Limbo used to call them brains full of mush, but just, just <laughs> silly level slogans. But was the, the big takeaway for me from that story was the faculty at this school decided to hold at their faculty Senate happening right now this week, you could vote Monday through Friday, whether or not to censure the president of the school because he said we don't really need to have a drag queen show here <laughs> and you know, i gotta tell you i was thinking well what if it was a strip tease mm -hmm. uh, where is there any line anymore or it's just this you know just immersion and sexualization of society to the point that any attempt to I don't know, to stand for morality or just say this doesn't belong here on a college campus? Uh, I mean, is, is there any line that, that they would draw or is this kind of anything goes if we have people who are, you know, engaging in sexual activity on stage? We all go, yes, yay, look how enlightened how we are. How I mean, liberated we are, yeah. <laughs> well, the line is drawn where we, where we choose to draw it, right? I mean, we can draw that line. And for a very long time, Christians specifically have, have stood back and allowed someone else to draw that line. And so that's one of the reasons we have our faith division. I mean, we really need Christians to stand up and, and engage. You know, a lot of times they feel like they're not supposed to be engaged in the political process, but, but we are supposed to be engaged in the political. And if we're not, we're gonna end up with, you know, where if we are. If you're not, somebody else is. Somebody <laughs> else is. And, yeah. and so we have the opportunity. We still have the majority in the country, I believe. And, um, and we need to stand up and draw the line where we want it to be drawn. You know what else I'll tell you on that, that thought about um, people standing back and waiting uh, and, and thinking, surely this is an aberration. This won't really go on. Surely it's not as bad as we think. I was listening to you talk about what you do and I was thinking, you really get the impression what you're doing, what CDF is doing, it's kind of gonna be forever. It is gonna be forever. It's because a, It's a long yeah. game. <laughs> it, it, They're the, in it for the long game though the too. The real so. long game because yeah. you can get every you know, smut-filled book out of the public schools and try to have the kids return to learning actual literature. I mean, you hate comparing things kids don't even know when they finish high school, but they've been managed to read a bunch of porn in the library. But, you know, the impetus to keep the, the curricula uh, appropriate, to keep the library uh, contents appropriate, it's gonna it's gonna have to extend forever because this the line's been crossed where there is a swath of people with some power who just say anything goes and let it all in yeah and kids can handle it you know they can handle yeah. it. they need to see it they need to be able to see themselves in these books they need to be able to see things that they've experienced in these books I, and i would argue that some of the things that i've read in these books kids who have experienced those need to be in therapy they don't need to be reading a, a book that sometimes even glorifies it and makes it sound like it's okay yeah, glorifies is a great word. Okay, very quickly, I know that um, we're past the time we said, but 
you've been active in the Texas legislature this session talking about a House bill that is addressing the, is it House bill or Senate bill? You remember the House, House bill. bill um, that addresses the content of uh, literature in the library. So quick, tell us about that. Yeah, so um, House bill uh, 900, it, it was, um, proposed by Jared Patterson. He's a representative out of Denton County. Um, he's the one that actually he and his office submitted the 28 books in Frisco to uh, uh, be challenged and was actually spearheaded that whole thing. Um, but he wrote this bill over the last 18 months. It actually just passed the House floor today. So this is a great day to be here to tell you oh, about that. Oh, it just out of committee. It passed the House floor. It passed the House floor. Yes, I spoke. Oh. I actually testified in committee. So it went to the Texas House um, Public Education Committee. And so that's when I went to Austin and testified um, uh, to, you know, for the bill. Because what the bill does is it actually holds vendors, book vendors, um, accountable for the books that end up in our libraries. So because you have to find you know like there has to be an accountability or it's not or nobody's unfortunately if a law doesn't have teeth it doesn't get followed so this particular bill will hold vendors that sell books to our libraries to our schools accountable for what they send they have to or what they sell to them they have to rate the books as either sexually explicit or sexually relevant so relevant being more of a theme based you know a sex theme instead of graphic sex detail um, and so it's if but if it's detail graphic detail then it would be sexually explicit and they have to rate them as such if they are rated sexually explicit they will not be allowed to be sold to a school library and if or district and if they do sell to a district they will never be allowed to sell another book in texas so the the onus is on them to rate them correctly and also to not, you know, if they end up selling them anyway to a school district, they will be held accountable in, the, in that they will not who be able to sell. Who checks the rating? So the ratings will be, the, you mean who checks whether or not it's correct? Whether yeah, it's, yeah, it's rated correctly? Yeah, the said, looks good to me, and, you, yeah. and anyone else would say um, this I is believe it's an organization, SBOE, I think, is one of them, and I think... Um, there is a There's check written one. into the bill. I'm yes, asking. yes, there is, there is. And if, it, if, it, if it's deemed that they rated it incorrectly, you're going to, I'm probably going to be wrong on this, but I think what the bill says is that if they, if they rate it incorrectly, they have 60 days to, um, to correct, correct it, correct it. Yeah. And, but if they don't, you know, and they continue to, to try and sell it, then they, they cannot sell books. And Texas is a very big vendor book, you know, like it's oh, a big, Texas a big a client huge. for them. So they don't want to miss yeah. out on all that. So yeah. hopefully they will comply. Yeah. Okay. And so I assume in the same bill, I see the, the book vendors can't sell it, but I would assume also it's the case the school districts, if it's labeled sexually explicit, whatever the they cannot have they can't buy it. They cannot have it in their libraries. They cannot okay. have it in their libraries. So it's, okay. hopefully it just passed that. Like I said, it just passed that. I think it has to pass one more time. I think it has to be read on the floor three times. Tomorrow will, will be the third time, but it passed today and it passed pretty handily. So I don't think we're going to have any problems in the house. And then of course it has to go to the Senate. So we'll yeah. start the fight there. <laughs> well, that's a good segue to my next segment about what's happening in the Texas House and Senate. Um, so again, Shannon Ayers, if people want to help your organization, they can go to citizensdefendingfreedom.com. Um, and there's a way you can, there's a locations, so you can pick your county. Um, even if your county is not listed, I strongly suggest that you find a county to support because the truth is if these hundred counties, which we don't even have up and active all hundred of them yet, but um, if these counties fall, the whole country falls, right? <clears throat> these counties are key. And so find a, find a county that you want to support, um, sign up for a newsletter, find out what they're doing in their county. Um, if you're you know interested in education, elections, whatever, you're, whatever it is you want to be a part of, please sign up uh, for the newsletter and then find, but be sure to find your county and sign up for your county's newsletter so that you know what's going on in your local area we believe that local is where it's at we do not have the power in washington we've lost washington the power is local the power is with your local school boards please go out and vote may 6th is our next school board election go out and vote um, for you know the candidates that best support your values um, and then um, let's see what what else may 6th vote um, oh, and donate if you can, please donate. If you have $10 a month, we don't care. Sign up for reoccurring donations uh, for Collin County and we would greatly appreciate it. And we will uh, send you our newsletters and we'll be in touch if you wanna volunteer. We need all the volunteers we can get. We need people going to school board meetings. We need people willing to you know, speak up, stand up and um, put, in, put in the work to save the county. Just one, as you did. And, and then the country, one county at a time. <laughs> right, one county at a time, yeah. the state, then the country. 
just as you did in that video, which uh, no matter how many times you did it, that one to take off, to have people see it, to have yeah. the hypocrisy of someone saying, there are children who can hear you. And you're like, and that you're a great answer. Well, that is my that point. That is my point. Yeah. And that the whole point of me actually reading at the school board meetings is for parents to find out what's yeah. in the school boards, in, in the school libraries, because many, I talked to many parents and they had no idea. They have no idea that those kinds of books are in their libraries. So. Yep. It's all about um, local. We our, our tagline kind of is local light, local action. We like to expose what's going on in the county and hold people accountable. Shannon Ayers, thank you for coming in. So fun to have you. Thank you for having me. Okay, mm -hmm. my very fine friends. We were mentioned in Texas legislature, and I just want to say a couple of things. We have listeners around the country. It's a very national program. Uh, we do have um, people assume around the country, well, Texas is red, Texas is Republican majority. You know, everything is done so easily there in your legislature. So um, I'm going to tell you a few things happening here, but this is relevant to every legislature in America. Uh, but in Texas, if you don't know, we only have a legislative session for six months every other year. The design, of course, is to try to not have them pass too many laws that get in, in the way of freedom. But in any case, we have a session ongoing right now. I have many friends who pretty much spend the six months of the legislative session every other year down in Austin and they inundate me with text messages. You know, this is happening with this bill. This is happening with this bill. And I'll tell you a couple of quick conclusions I've come to, and then some specifics you can do. The overarching conclusion is there are, the Republican Party in Texas did set legislative priorities. They're very clear, they're very good. The uh, woman who heads up that committee is a friend of mine. I mean, I've commended her many times because it's very concise. These are the priorities of the Republicans in Texas who take the time to be involved. And they're very, very straightforward. One, and so they try to put those priorities out. The legislature knows that. The legislature is overwhelmingly Republican, as is the entire elected slate of people in Texas. Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General, they're all Republican. So the defense of, well, we couldn't get it done because the Democrats are in charge, they wouldn't let us, shouldn't really be true. We have a problem in Texas because of the way the Speaker of the House is elected, which I've been over other times. I think I won't regale you because I've run out of time here on the show today. But in Texas, we do have a Speaker of the House who has an R by his name, which is the most Republican thing about him. And among the many things that happen is he appoints, as is, has been historically true, he appoints Democrats to chair certain key committees. So the way any bill gets out to become a law, it has to go through the relevant committee, get passed, and then onto the floor. So if you want to kill a bill and you are you have an R by your name, you send it to a committee that has a Democrat chair and they can just prevent it from ever moving forward. And so you would think in Texas, big issues this year, we'd be able to absolutely get on board with getting rid of the porn, the sexually explicit material in public schools. You would think we could pass the idea of no, no more gender mutilation of children, no more gender reassignment drugs and surgery at young ages, and no more luring children into believing they're part of the, they, that they are transgendered. These things are so basic, and these things are so, oh, and the other big one is election integrity. Everybody paying attention understands that we have a huge problem with election integrity. Even if the only problem you want to admit is true is that we have no confidence in our elections, that itself is a problem because it causes people to not get involved. But on the election front, as I was mentioning at the start of the show, you know, with the whole Dominion lawsuit, we have in Texas many wonderful bills proposed that would try to take back control of the legislative pro of the election process away from companies like Dominion and others who are not answerable to the people of Texas. They're not, you can't audit them, you can't examine them, you can't look at their machines. It's the most bizarre thing among the most important processes that exist to hold on to this democratic republic are free and fair elections. And yet we have, even in Texas, farmed out our elections to private entities that will not allow the citizens to have access to their machines, to review them. It is the craziest situation. So in Texas, we have many, many pieces of legislation trying to address pieces of the uh, election process. I just want to tell you, so I'm going to hit gender. We, we had in Texas, um, the uh, two bills were filed at the beginning of the session about gender uh, modification. That's a polite way to say it. It's really gen uh, gender mutilation. These people, we've had people in the show telling you about it, the idea that you, that young people 
who are going through a stage of insecurity, whatever it is, they think, oh, my whole problem is I've been, I'm not, I'm misgendered. I'm really the opposite gender of what I am. They go through drugs, procedures, surgeries, and they turn out as young adults just disastrously unhappy, mutilated, no identity, no path forward. So we had two uh, uh, legislators in Texas who are both physicians, one the House, one the Senate, filed bills saying we need to end gender modification on Texas children. You would think that would fly through in the great state of Texas, especially, it's not just that we're red, but Texas is overarchingly still a conservative Bible Belt kind of state. And yet that is getting stalled, has not moved forward, do not have assurances that that will get anywhere. Now, I, I mean, the idea we even have to argue about that is, is beyond belief. Same with the election issues. Um, the, we, there are uh, countless bills that were out there about elections. Um, I have, what is this, probably 25, no, maybe 15 bills, um, all sorts of bills that are just designed to talk about uh, election integrity. It has been honed down. And one thing, if, you, if you're listening today and you live in Texas and you want to call your state rep or your state senator, the bills related to elections got pulled together into one bill by Representative Steve Toth, T-O-T-H Toth. The bill is HB 5234. And basically the overarching goal of this bill is to return control of the elections to the hands of the people instead of in the hands of these electronic voting machine companies that will not allow you to audit them or even understand what the heck they're doing. So that bill is, uh, the good news about this is that there's a lot of excitement about it because there is a Representative Toth got the bill pulled together. Uh, other ungood un news was that the House Elections Chairman, uh, his name Reggie Smith, who at least as of yesterday, this is a text I got yesterday from a friend active in Austin, Reggie Smith, the new Elections Committee chair, has not passed even one election integrity priority bill out of his committee. Now, maybe that changed in the last 24, 48 hours, but this is how the process, this is how you're sitting someplace in America, you're sitting in New York or wherever you are, California, New Mexico, thinking, how can Texas not get election integrity done? It's because of the process. And the process is used as an excuse. It's actually when you hand a bill over to a committee, you know whether they're going to vote it out or they're not going to vote it out. You know who chairs the committee, who's on the committee. So there's a, um, you know, just a uh, very deep upset about the idea uh, that we don't have this election integrity stuff moving forward. Many people want it. The, the people of Texas want it, but it's gummed up in the Texas legislature. Uh, I mentioned the Republican Party having, a, in fact, this is why I linked on our website today. Okay, for everything I'm telling you, every story I'm talking about today, you can go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, and on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. You can read this uh, little list I linked to today, along with other stories, that are basically the legislative priorities that were given to the Texas legislature from the Republican Party, which, as I said, is the majority party, House, Senate, and everywhere else. Uh, many election integrity bills, um, very clear, very specific, uh, trying to stop, uh, trying to impose penalties on ballot harvesting, uh, trying to remove non-citizens from the voter rolls. How could that be controversial? Uh, using death records to update the vital statistics, get things out of, you know, uh, the correct our roster in Texas as to people who are no longer living. Uh, they use the expression require a wet signature on mail-in ballots. Um, mail, they have, I mean, they're just the central counting, fixing problems that happen at central counting. Tons of bills, and they're just not making any progress. So if you're interested in making calls, you can do this. You can call Reggie Smith, the chair of the House Election Committee. Allow me to give you his number, 512-463-0297. Call his number. Say this, 512-463-0297. I want all of the election integrity bills pushed out of your committee and onto the floor of the House. Get moving. You know, many factors Im Im impact what legislators will do. There may be people who go there and they say, well, I really stand for election integrity and that's what I'm going to do. They make horse trades. They, they say, I wanted to help, but I got stuck in a committee. Politicians respond, I'm sorry to say, and there are many moral good people who are members of the state house, state senate, same in Congress, but politicians pretty much react to two things, threat that they'll lose re-election or threat that they will lose, that they won't get money, they won't be able to raise money. 
And conversely, when they are given a great deal of money by lobbyists of various kinds, no matter what they've told you, when they, they, they ran for, they campaigned, they gave speeches, they said what they stand for, big money, sadly, sways some of these individuals to not do what they told you they believe in and what they actually really may believe in. Part of the concern in the bills that we can't get moved forward on this genital mutilation of children issue has to do with how much money seems to have come from the biopharmaceutical industry directly or indirectly into the coffers of some members of the House or Senate. So they see money coming in, campaigns cost money, and they just aren't going to push the bill you thought they're going to push. So we really are at a crisis time in Texas because um, I don't know if it holds true, but right now, the, what I was told earlier this week was if things are not onto the floor by Thursday, if not voted out of committee by Thursday, we lose a lot of the capacity, a lot of the ability to push them over the finish line and get them signed. In Texas, the, the state Senate, far more productive and responsible this session. We have a wonderful lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick. I told you before, he's a friend of mine, and he is doing the right thing, the Texas State Senate, getting all sorts of bills out of committee. He only has one Democrat chair. All the rest of the committees in the Senate are Republican chairs, and he's pushing these things. The Senate, the Senate's getting things done. The bottleneck is in the House. So the pressure you can put on your state representative in Texas to say, I want election integrity. I want to get porn out of the public school libraries. And I don't care what bill number it is. I want you to do these things. Um, I want to end this whole transgender push in the public schools. I want election integrity. You got to call your state rep and say that. Say what you care about. They do respond to you because they actually, nearly all of them, they want to be reelected. Okay, so I have one more topic, but I can see I am uh, blowing past my schedule for today. So I think I can't get to it. I wanted to talk to you today uh, a little bit about the Holocaust Remembrance. All I'll say is this. Yesterday was Holocaust Remembrance Day. We talk a lot about Israel in this show, a lot about anti-Semitism being evil, and it is a great time in Holocaust Remembrance Day to take just two minutes, remind yourself, look online, remind yourself how bad, how evil, how wrong what happened in the United, in, in, during World War II in Germany, the whole, how bad the Holocaust was, and the elements that gave rise to it taking hold and to having people not either believing that was happening or not willing to speak up. They managed, the, the Hitler regime, the Nazis managed to just marginalize the Jews as somehow less than people, less than real people, people who you don't have to care about. And that notion of allowing any leader to marginalize people, to dehumanize people, and then engage in what he did. I mean, the big fight, of course, is against anti-Semitism. It is to remind people what can happen if we don't look out for each other. But it's also be mindful in America how there are forces at work that seem to be trying to marginalize people who speak up, people who are different from what you think. And this was very much the beginning of the problem uh, in, in the Holocaust. I want to do a little spiel about tolerance, but I've run out of time. I want to talk to you next week about tolerance. Uh, I can't do it today. Before we go to Why It Matters to You, I'll remind you that tomorrow, our special Thursday guest is Dr. Mary Tally Bowden. She is a Houston physician. She is a woman who is fighting to hold on to her medical license because she prescribed ivermectin to people who had COVID and that got better. She's had over 5,500 COVID patients in her practice, did not lose one of them. They all survived and she's fighting for her license. So we'll talk about her tomorrow. So do not miss tomorrow's show. But right now I will close the show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show today uh, talking about uh, Fox sales with Dominion. 787.5 million compared to the 600 billion they were asking for, but 787 million settlement utterly detached from the truth and from justice, but serves the deep state interest of seeming to legitimize a stolen 2020 election. Evidence of 2020 election rigging via machines is overwhelming and growing. Truth has no agenda and inevitably will out. Ramifications of a legal system, judges, lawyers, and litigants completely defiant of truth are erroneous, are enormously damaging to culture, rule of law, and order. Fox News has not contained the damage to its reputation by settling. It has broadened and deepened it. And on the Texas legislature, which bills win? 
Texas State Senate acting, acting promptly and responsibly on priorities of constituents, more than 20 out of 30 priorities already acted upon. You gotta love the Senate. Texas State House, controlled by a speaker who is a rhino at best, can't even move to outlaw gentle mutilation of children. Character of elected representatives matters. Lobbyist money versus conscience, which will govern them. We need to vote for leaders who are strong. Persistent defiance of the will of the people does not go unnoticed by the people. Trust in government and willingness to obey government dissipates. It's a recipe for loss of law and order. Texas is in a very dangerous territory. The House portion of the legislature is engaging in elitist ruling class defiance of the will of Texans. Similar to the attitude of General Santa Ana. Have to go back to that. And finally, Holocaust remembrance. Tolerance is by itself not a virtue. Whether tolerance is virtuous depends on what is being proposed to be tolerated. We're not tolerant of child sex traffickers or a whole bunch of other evil things. Tolerance standing alone, not a virtue. Not every attitude or action is moral. Not every idea or policy is morally equivalent to every other idea or policy. Beware of any movement that would declare some people, uh, such as the unvaccinated, to be subhuman, unclean, deserving of being outcast and shunned. Be equally wary of movements which defy common sense and intelligence. Gentle mutilation of children is not health care. Allowing boys and girls bathrooms and showers is not wise. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Tune in tomorrow, please, for Dr. Mary Tally Bowden. Uh, hear about her life story. She's an amazing character. And tune in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do America Can We Talk to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear?